Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host, Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer. It's episode six. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little, little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. You can now find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so please give us a five-star rating or just like us. I mean, literally. I'd be satisfied if you just liked us. <laughs> so, um, this week, uh, we're going to go through our usual segments of Card of the Week, Seven Run Breakdown. Our main topic is uh, introducing Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, my co-host, and then we'll do our draft analysis. So we'll get right into it with Card of the Week. My Card of the Week this week is uh, Spitfire, which is a four-power relic. It says, pay four to deal one damage to an enemy. The reason I uh, picked this card for my Card of the Week is two people in the last two weeks have specifically called this card out as having done a ton of work for them in their draft when they sent in their seven-win draft list, which... Um, needless to say, was shocking to me because before that, this was this was like a card I would have never really picked. And um, I was just wondering if you, have you played Spitfire before? I personally haven't, no. I, 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 I guess, are they using it in like honeypot style decks? Like cards that get better with higher costed relics? I don't I think... Could, I could see that maybe being... Um, decent. My impression actually was, um, I don't remember the deck lists. I, I don't have, I don't remember what decks they were specifically, but or I just, think just the fact that you can machine gun off this effect. Yeah. I think and once they you were get the eight, you can do it twice and stuff, I guess. Yeah. I think they were using it to ping off all the, um, one toughness creatures that, you know, you, you can knock off a bleak basin guide. You can knock off. A lot of the uh, two, uh, you know, the the one one wagoneer. The you know, there's a lot of low toughness creatures, and so I had a feeling that you know they were using them in maybe like the bigger, slower Genev lists and stuff like that, where um, you know you're trying to get to the late game and you're or you have the power to get. You have the power and the beefiness of units to get to the late game, and then you were just using this as sort of a value engine to, like, you know, pick off your opponent's smaller creatures. Well, I'm definitely down to experiment with it. Yeah, and I if, will. If people, if people are reporting back success, I'm always willing to try it out. Yeah, I did try it in one deck, and I did kill a couple things, but there were also spots where it did what I thought it would do which is you spend one turn <laughs> spending four mana or four power to play this and then you never have a chance to just like spend four power so i think it needs the right yeah. deck but i'd mention it because you know two people have said this was like one of the better cards in their decks in their seven win runs that's cool okay so ruben what is your card this week all right i chose for the card of the week magmatic sentinel which is the 7-5 for 8 with a double fire influence requirement. And it has the summon effect of doing 5 damage to a unit. 
And I just like bringing up this card because uh, it's one that stood out to me as as drastically underrated and undervalued by many players. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think that if you imagine your the game plan of your deck involving get, likely getting to eight power, this this card is a very good one of. And in certain decks, if you have a lot of you know Parmas and things like that, you're easily ramping into eight. And I, I think even having a couple of them in some of those beefier decks is very fine yeah it does a lot of good work you know you and i we we were playing that common the popper event and this was like the the payoff for that deck was Mm -hmm. (laughs) this this card at at the common slot there's not many commons that do anything close to this powerful for that um power level at eight so I, i think that it's something to keep your eye out if you're on the defensive more you're playing a lot more you know of a scaly Gruon kind of game plan, that this is a really awesome payoff. This is coincidence, I think, but fits in with, I think this card does best in that, uh, like a Genev shell, where you yeah. kind of have your beefy time units to, and all the ramp to really help you get to it. It's interesting, because I feel like you've changed your tune a little bit on this card, because I think if listeners go back to some of our earlier episodes, we maybe have talked about this card before, and you were a little bit down on it. I've I've changed my tune on aggro. I think is what probably has mm-hmm. helped helped boost this in my eyes because for a while there was I, I was drafting nothing but aggro decks. So. <laughs> yes. So what's interesting is I I I feel like I was there with you a week ago, and this was actually at the end of last week i had a a seven win draft with this in it and now with what i was seeing this week i did a bunch of drafts and i'm really scared to put an eight power card in my deck again because it just felt like especially i don't know especially this past week it felt like the format has gotten really fast again and we'll talk about this a little bit later but like the drafts that people are have that people sent in this week like ixton like the fjp and the f and faster ftp decks were really dominant in the drafts that we received and i felt that on ladder too all right well yeah let's Let's run right into our seven win breakdown then. Oh yeah, this leads this right into it. This is a good, great segue. I, yeah, yeah no, enough of the magmatic sentinel. <laughs> but as we'll see, maybe some of the faster lists are now having success. Yeah. So on to our next segment, the seven win run breakdown. Um, this week, our community was on fire literally and figuratively we got 29 drafts so i want to say thank you to everyone who sent it in one this week 24 of them had fire in them wow 20 of the 29 had primal and 19 had justice shadow had only nine decks where it was the bane color and three splashes up until this week you know xenon had been the most dominant color pair in the drafts that we had received and it has now uh, been dethroned and Elysian is the most drafted color pair followed by Skycrag. And then interestingly, or I don't know if this is interesting or not, but the lowest drafted enemy color pair is Argent Port, um, Justice Shadow. So as you might've guessed with fire being uh, the hot new thing this week, Ixton has now overtaken Aurelian as the number one tri-faction in all our lists. 
nine of the 29 decks this week were just straight Ixtin, and only three were Aurelian, while Aurelian had been the dominant tricolor faction up until this week. And this sort of uh, fit my experience with this week, where at the start of this week, I was continuing to... I had a couple drafts where I tried to go big time or or Zenin, you know, I guess some Zenin list, but mostly like kind of going big time and trying to go over top of decks. And I felt the two types of decks that I faced were these fast aggro decks or decks that were even bigger than what I thought was as big as I reasonably wanted to go. And so I was not having a lot of luck with those kind of decks. It's like it, we're kind of going through... Uh cycles of sorts like people kind of overvaluing one strategy and it being maybe like overdrafted potentially and then other types of decks being more open and more powerful because getting to seven wins in a draft really requires a good deck a lot of times (laughs) yeah or or really tight playing or a combination of the two um so yeah i think it's possible we could be seeing sort of interesting metagame cycles that we're going through. Yeah, I don't want to read too much into it, but this is kind of exciting to me. I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast last week, but uh, one of the things uh, we had talked about was whether whether Eternal had a draft meta or not. And again, you know, this is just the deck list that our listeners send in, so maybe it's like a sort of a, not really representative, but it to me, it felt this week like, hey, maybe there is a meta and a constantly changing meta. And I don't know, it just kind of made me excited to think that there's enough players playing draft and taking it seriously enough that we're like feeling the effects of card evaluations changing and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I think there's an interesting effect that I, I've seen in ranked, especially if a deck is good enough or having success just generally you you'll pick up something that keeps beating you <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it seems like the natural way things kind of play out uh, i mean i do that all the time i remember that's how i picked up fjs it originally in ranked was i just i lost to it like seven or eight times just in a row with a <laughs> myriad of different decks and i was like okay why am i not playing this? it i literally can't figure out what angle to beat it at so i guess i should be trying to play it and yeah, that, that ended up being a terrific decision. And I imagine that same thing sort of happens in draft. And maybe it's the reason a card like Spitfire, you know, hasn't gotten <laughs> its acclaim it deserves, apparently. You know, if you don't see it played and get beaten by it, it's hard to know where to place it in the scheme of things. So Yeah. Yeah, I think people experimenting a little more with all the different tri-factions and really, like, pushing the envelope a little bit with even going bigger or even faster more one drops even i've seen decks that are just so low to the ground and stuff too it's it's pretty interesting yeah Um, i i wonder if you know part of what we're seeing right now is after the last um the last draft buffs you know where resilient wagoneer and the go wide strategies kind of got buffed and i wonder if that was that kind of skewed the metagame where people went too hard it kind of makes me think like maybe that's why Spitfire was 
doing so well. Because so, for a while there, a lot of people were playing Bleak Basin Guides and Resilient Wagoneers and Scavenge. And you had a lot of these 1-1s to ping off. And now people are coming down off of that deck. So we're kind of going back to this more aggressive... Uh, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but these sort of... We're going back to the Skycrag and um, Rakano-based decks. Yeah, I, I think the the big takeaway from the numbers that we're seeing, at least in our own numbers here, is that every strategy works. Like we yeah. don't have we don't have anything that is truly awful and to be avoided at all costs. Which no, um, I, I have to say is pretty rare in card games. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's it's very difficult to balance a limited format this precisely and. Yeah, the the fact that we're looking at the frequency, not you know, we the lowest shadow at forty four percent. That's still not bad. I mean, right. with the upper limit at fifty eight percent in primal. That's I mean, that's significant across a lot of numbers, I suppose. But the the fact that we have a pretty good spread of everything is really cool. And, yeah, and shows you that if you're if you're learning all these different archetypes, and got them in your back pocket you know what cards kind of signal to you that they're open and know when to jump into them so i will yeah, say I, that's maybe I would be i would be scared to put a resilient wagoneer in my deck right now but <laughs> <laughs> oh i got i got beat by resilient wagoneer not that long ago i feel like oh really i don't know if i've seen a single one this past week but again you know that's there's always a lot of random chance and variance in that too Okay. So anyway, I'd like to thank uh, everyone who sent in a draft this week. I would like to thank the new players that submitted decks this week. Uh, Caruthers, AndyH22, and Tfeek, Ben, and Ice Lightning. As well as our regulars, uh, YouTube content creator Gaonan, Streamer, eMoney, Dwiggy, Rofer, Ruben, and me. Um, I'd like also to give a special shout out to Dwiggy, who sent seven lists this week. So I spent the whole ECQ either chasing my kids, watching Ruben play, or importing Dwiggy's deck list to take screenshots of them. And then also, I was just, I, I like to scroll through the top 100 drafters every once in a while, and I noticed that Dwiggy was in the top 10, at least as of uh, yesterday. So big shout out to Dwiggy for doing so awesome so early in the season. On to our main topic. Uh, the main topic this week is Ruben. Oh, so, man. <laughs> so we got uh, a bit of show feedback this week, and it's come to my attention that some people might not feel that being an organic vegetable farmer is in and of itself enough of a credential to be an authority on Eternal. So <laughs> I thought we would use uh, a, this segment here to explain why everyone should be listening to Ruben's advice. Oh, no. I mean, I, I, I am always learning with the rest of you, so I don't want to be I don't want to be an authority. <laughs> no, no, no. So the elephant but in the I, room, the elephant in the room right now, I, I kind of assume that most people that listen to this podcast also follow the ECQ and stuff. But uh, Ruben got top 16 at the ECQ this past weekend, and and he's just blowing up. He's blowing up in the scene. And so we just thought we'd have this conversation while because you guys knew him first and i think we should we should talk more about 
sort of Ruben's history and his meteoric rise in the eternal community? Uh, no, it's it's not been really meteoric. I, I've I've been around for quite a while actually. I, I'm not like super well known or hadn't played in the ETS events just because of scheduling and stuff. So I've been playing for quite a while. My brother was he's a very good magic player and got me into eternal. He was one of the uh, I think beta people playing it back in the day and so he he got me into it after i think maybe it was set two or something's when i started playing and i just loved it immediately because it was everything that magic wasn't for me anymore because i just didn't have the money or the time or the ability to travel or any of those things and and i had loved you know playing competitive card games growing up and i did uh, travel playing magic for a while doing yeah that. so i wanted to talk more about uh your magic history yeah i i started playing magic in like 90 1997 98 roughly but i i loved magic and we we used to play all the time my favorite deck was a uh, land destruction so that should tell you what i was like as a kid um this is the most awful horrible strategy that has existed and uh in card games, in my opinion, and it was my favorite. Um, so I, I fell in love with land destruction decks, and and my friends hated me thoroughly. And I eventually evolved, and you know, started going to the card shops to play occasionally. Uh, parents weren't super into it as a hobby of mine, <laughs> so I, I know a lot of people can uh, can feel that as well. I, I've, that's a common theme, I think, in um, our generation, but. Um, anyway, I once I got to college and had a little more freedom, my friends and I would uh, travel to PTQs and stuff, and I did that for a few years. And it's quite it was quite the grind. It was really fun, but uh, I it took it a little too seriously and kind of burnt myself out. Because back, I don't know how they're doing it now. I haven't played uh, competitive Magic in a long time. But you used to get one one invite to the winner of an entire tournament. And these PTQs got so crowded that I think the smallest ones we could find, even in the south where I was playing, were, you know, 200 people. That was the bare minimum. So your chances of getting one of these fabled invites to the Pro Tour was so tiny and so difficult. And um, there, there's so many parts of it that I loved. Um I didn't save a lot of money during that time in my life. <laughs> and as I evolved as a person, I, I knew I couldn't continue playing Magic, so I had to sell my collection and, uh, you know, eventually started a farm and everything. <laughs> but there's a lot happened in between that and this. Um, I did a lot of trail work, working out in the woods, doing a lot of axe and saw work and stuff. That was a big thing I did for years before I got to do farming. And now that I am, I, uh, you know, have a house. I'm not living in a tent anymore and have the internet and found eternal. And I love it. It's such a great game. It's just been just the perfect thing to put some extra time into because it's, it's slick and quick to play. And they have got these tournaments that fit any schedule that, I mean, not any schedule, but most people's schedules, at least. I know I feel sorry for people who are not on this side of the the planet. But yeah, for, for us, it's it's quite easy to 
get into these ECQs and stuff. So yeah, that's that's my background. Um, so did you play a lot of draft in Magic, or were you mainly I, constructed? No, I did. I, I loved draft. It was one of my favorite formats. Mm-hmm. I used to draft all the time. Even when I was a kid, I've been drafting Magic since way back in the day. We would we'd just take our pile of cards, like everybody's mm-hmm. cards, and just like shuffle them together, and then you know make draft packs out of those and. Just you could do that endlessly. Yeah, I've I've loved draft for a long time. That's cool. So, would you say in Eternal that you do you focus more on constructed or draft? I think that I'm be and a lot of people probably feel the same way. We're kind of compelled at this moment if you're looking to get one of these worlds qualifications mm-hmm. to put your focus into ranked. Um, I I like both about equally. I get burnt out in in equal amounts of time on both of them. It's it's felt that way for a long time. I, I I love I love draft, but I also like being able to take breaks to craft and brew up something fun. Yeah. But, but come tournament time, you won't find me brewing. I will. I am much more of a tweaker. Very mild tweaks to lists that have already proven themselves. Because mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't think I'm you know I'm no Sunnyvale. I'm not gonna. <laughs> break the format anytime soon well yeah, i think that's... i think that uh that rounds up um everything about ruben if you have yeah. any other questions for ruben uh please send them in and i will promise to ask ruben i don't know if we'll do another segment about him or anything but oh, maybe next, next maybe next time he wins an ecq we'll we'll do this again oh i was three three wins from a qualification feels bittersweet but yeah, <laughs> we'll talk. About, I think we'll talk about that at the end, like we always oh, do in our. Yeah, let's get back into some drafting in our constructed corner, as I've come to finally call it in my head. So this is kind of fun. Um, I've been talking through email with um, user Aloran44, who has been having a lot of trouble with draft this set. And so he sent in a draft that he wanted advice on. So I thought we would do his draft today. All right, so let's get to Aloran 44's draft. Um, here with pack one, pick one. The cards in contention here are Bizarre Trickster. It's the rare. That is the 2-3 two, for two single time influence um, that has the pay for silence unit. And so you can do that any number of times. Uh, there's a Lethray Hideaway. That's the... Two power relic that makes a two one elf elf relic, and then the fall short and a new order watch. And Lauren went with the new order watch wing. I personally think the bizarre trickster is really good, and I think that's a very powerful effect to have on a two drop. Um, and it's a single influence requirement. Uh, what do you think about that? I agree. Um, bizarre trickster would have been my um my pick we we talked about the card last week and called it a bomb and yeah even though i went two three with a deck with two of them uh in it this week i still consider it a bomb yeah it's a new order watchwing is is really strong but it doesn't fit in quite as many decks <laughs> right yeah so especially this early it is not as flexible yeah, yeah, Trickster's going to go in anything that has time in it. Cool. All right, let's, let's head to the second pick, where 
There was a Stone Shell Walker. And the other notable cards in this pack were Mighty Strikes and Fireheart Recruit. So going with Stone Shell Walker, I think. I, I like this. I know that you have been a little higher on Mighty Strikes. Is that what you were thinking potentially here? Yes, I, I think I would have taken... I think I would have taken the Mighty Strikes. You know, since I have the Bizarre Trickster in my pack, maybe that would lean me towards the Stone Shell Walker as, you know, it fits in the colors. But I've been really liking uh, Fire Time Primal. And, you know, we had been kind of down on Mighty Strikes after the nerf. But um, this past week, I've been having a lot of them in my deck. And they've been the card that has been winning me games. You know, I still think it's a card that even if you're behind, as long as you've got them low enough, you know, you can just do an alpha strike and put mighty strikes on a couple guys and win out of nowhere, no matter how beefy, you know, or defensive their board is. Yeah, I like that too. And Ed wasn't thinking about it, but Stone Chill Walker being in Praxis and New Order Watchwing being in, <laughs> in Justice... That's not that's not a shard, unfortunately. Yeah. The uh, fire time justice. So I guess going mighty strikes is more likely to. Yeah, I guess well. in with either of our picks, you know, with Orlaren forty uh, fours pick of yeah new order watchwing or or bizarre trickster, you know, I don't know mighty strikes. And, I mean, and an argument for your mighty strikes is new order watchwing plus mighty strikes. Uh, the the cost counts with all the amplifies so <laughs> if you cast this for six on a new order watch wing you get a six six uh so that's that's very strong so that i mean right off the top is quite the combo something something to think about though i i do i am a proponent of taking the strongest card in the first few picks mm -hmm. and stone show walker i think is just uh i is slightly stronger to me than a mighty strikes but the way yeah to go. you know the other thing that makes me a little bit down on stone shell walker is i think it's in tome effect is often what they call trinket text where it so rarely matters that you know it's it it's not actually important and so it's really just a five five overwhelm which yeah. is it, which is very good but there are there's a lot of commons that are just as good you know like a power breach sentinel is is just as good and you're going to see those if if time is open and um you know a little harder to cast is um coastal beastmaster yes yep. yeah you know and there's the coastal beastmaster which has the same stats that you'll see is see it common while like i said i'm just like the overwhelm on mighty strikes is just has such blowout potential let's go to the pack one pick three and we got a fall short and then the other notable cards are Mighty Strikes, <laughs> and that's it. There's a Magmatic Sentinel, which I, I personally like, but I, I don't I don't see picking it over a Fall Short this early in a draft. Mm -hmm. When you already have a good Justice card, it seems like Fall Short is a pretty good pick here. Would you mm -hmm. have taken a second Mighty Strikes? I think if my first pick had been Bizarre Trickstar, I would have taken a second Mighty Strikes. So say your draft right now is, yeah, Bizarre Trickster, Stone Shell Walker. Do you think you're still on Fall Short? Oh, that's a good point. No, that might that might be the time for me to take my first Mighty Strikes, actually, mm -hmm. in that combo. Because I really think Geneva's a great deck. 
yeah. <laughs> and it's it's got such good high quality cards across the board you're you're not gonna have trouble putting together something pretty decent most times um if it's open right i i think the pick three pack one pick three is a tiny bit too early to tell if something's open unless you see something game breaking like a mantisaur or something potentially yeah um, might might and, be obvious that that person isn't a primal fan <laughs> yeah yeah, and especially because the cards that have been picked are a rare and an uncommon, so... Yeah, that's another great point. All right, well, that yeah, I think that pick is is close and probably just depends on which direction you've taken. So card number four, this is pack one, pick four. Uh, they went with a Seraph's Beacon. Um, I, I think there are some better options here, personally. There's a Token of Honor, an Arachnidon Egg, and a Bear Arms... And I, I personally would have gone with the bear arms if I was in the position they were at this point. I, I think Beacon, in many games, is just a three-power 1-1. One, one. <laughs> it's just not super impressive. And the, the trigger off of it is it requires building around to be you know good. And mm-hmm. bear, bear arms requires almost no building around to be great. It's it's good in most styles of decks. The Renown decks and and the Go Wide decks, I think, both really want this card. I think Bear Arms is where I would be. Bear Arms is a card that has never done a ton for me, but it I think it's one of the scariest cards to see on the other side of the battlefield. Yeah, so it's it's it makes that unit immediately a must answer, or it's just gonna grow out of control and win the game. And and I you know making scavenged better and those and lazy fire main oh man bear mm-hmm. arms with lazy fire main is so strong now making two one ones it's yeah I think bear arms got kind of an indirect sort of buff with all of those changes but yeah so they pick the beacon which I think is okay but I I I, I this is the first pick where I think that was probably not the right choice. And now let's head to pick number five of the pack number one. And there is a Lethra Intimidator. And other notables, uh, Token of Honor. And that's really... I mean, there's that late Magmatic Sentinel. Yeah, (laughs) and there's a Master Cartographer, which isn't isn't a bad card. Which is, yeah, it can be relevant if, if you wanted to dip into... I, I think that at this point they have a fall short, a seraph's beacon, a new order watchwing, and that stone shell walker. So between fall short, especially fall short and the watchwing, they're probably justice, and that's all they know. So yes. uh, intimidate intimidator being just the general best card here is a good pickup, and also probably a sign that shadows potentially open. I agree. No, I think for for them where they are right now, the left right intimidator is the pick. Um, if we were going with my deck where I have two Mighty Strikes, a Bear Arms, and a Bizarre Trickster, I think I take the Token of Honor here and yeah. kind of hope. <laughs> yeah. Then the next pick, this is pick number six of the first mm-hmm. pack. There is an Oni Forge Master and nothing else even even remotely close. There's a yeah. Token of Vision, I suppose, but that, you know. Yeah. Could could be fixing, but for this late of a Forge Master's just too hard to <laughs> pass, I think. No, I I agree. The um one interest um interesting thing sort of is that there is a Bleak Basin Guide, Token of Vision, and Unmoored Valkyrie. 
So at least it does seem like, you know, uh, Justice and maybe Justice Shadow are available options to you. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's a good observation because, yeah, those the, those are all three pretty decently playable cards, especially the, I mean, Bleak Basin Guide's not incredible, but it's... Um, it can win games. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely can. All right, so that, they picked up some more, we didn't have any pictures of the rest of the pack one, um, mm-hmm. but they rounded out their deck with a couple of uh, Lost Scrolls, two Curator Spears, and a consuming greed. So that's kind of an interesting uh, final <laughs> picking of cards because Curator Spear is actually not horrible. It's it's serviceable in many strategies, I think. And there's that late consuming greed to go with them. But that's I don't know. That's really very relevant. <laughs> um. So let's go to the beginning of pack two, and this is this is a very interesting pack. I think. Compared to even some of the other drafts we've done in the past, I think th- this one has a, a turning point of sorts that we're mm-hmm. going to reach. And this this first pick, I think, is a slew of great cards. They There's an Annihilate, there is a Trailmaker, a Changey Stick, Linebreaker Shield. Um, they end up picking the Annihilate. I think that's... I agree with that pick. I like that card so much. I mean, it's just such a super powerful, versatile kill spell mm-hmm. yeah so I, what i wanted what i i think for him it's an easy annihilate because yeah. it, it seems like he's he's committed to shadow now and it's so good um if you were looking like you are more into an ixton deck right now what would you think between linebreaker shield and changey stick that it, it is close i think linebreaker shield for me has the edge right now i mm-hmm. think it breaking stuns is really relevant being just generally a two, two, a a plus two, plus two for two and plus and giving endurance to something is backbreaking a lot of games. It's just very slight, but I do, I do think if you have all of the influence settled and you, and you know that you're in those colors. Yeah. I would lean towards linebreaker shield. I, I just, you get, you get its spellcraft impact at a much earlier point in the game and it's just its effect is generally a little more powerful Mm -hmm. um earlier in the match whereas changey stick later in the game has the slight edge which is (laughs) i don't know it you could really make an argument either way i'd say yeah it's a it's a really interesting and a really close pick because you know there's also something to be said about just you know throwing an early changey stick and just like getting in damage, which might be slightly harder with Linebreaker Shield. But yeah, this was an easy annihilate. Otherwise, mm-hmm. um, and then moving on to the second pick of the second pack, there was this is a pretty bad pack. <laughs> There's a war. There is a Warhelm, um, which is not a bad card, and <laughs> the second best card is a District Infantry. So that tells you how good this. This pack is it's just yeah not pretty I, th- yeah. I think i think yeah they don't have anything but really argent port settled um they have the one oni forge master and i guess stone shell walker is looking less likely yeah. with the way those color pairings work so i think warhelm was the correct pick here mm-hmm. 
I don't know if you feel like anything else stands out to you. No, nothing stands out to me. I might have taken the district infantry. Yeah, I don't know. Like the Warhelm, I'm just like not convinced that's worth a card. Yeah. And it being also not in your like you you only have the one um fire card right now. And I think district infantry, if you're in an aggressive deck, you have two lost scrolls. So you kind of have an empower theme going on. That's a good point. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that now that you're mentioning it because he does have the Seraphta Beacon and the two lost lost scrolls. That's totally. I mean, playing if if he decides to go Carindon with this draft at this point. Um, though though I do I do think Warhelm. If you end up with any renown of the renown synergies, he's already got the Forge Master, so it's pretty good there. <laughs> And mm-hmm. he ends up picking up other stuff later. It can be really good. Um, and giving a any piddly flyer Warcry can <laughs> us slowly take a game over as well with Warcry triggers. I found. Um, so yeah, that that was probably a fair pick. And so this next one is pretty interesting to me as well. This this was one of the interesting turning points potentially. It's pack two. Pick number three, right? Yes. Yeah. So the third pick into the second pack. And there is a Temple Sheehan at the rare spot, which is the 3-3 for 3 double primal that inspire the units you draw get flying. And at summon, it puts that inferiority complex on an enemy unit and forces them to attack. Gives them reckless. Uh, I think that card is just borderline bomb. So (laughs) it's... It's very, very strong. That's the impact that it has on the game is is almost immediate too. Making one of their guys attack into you, and it's kind of pseudo removal plus giving flying to all of your draws can really put a deck over the top. So I, I think that card's great. But there were no nothing primal had happened yet so far, right? In this draft, and there's a an amber ring and an illumination wisp. And a Wormstone. I think those are the ones that stuck out to me. Um, and they ended up picking the Amber Ring, which I, I can I can totally see. So this is this was an interesting one. I want to hear what you, what you were thinking when you saw this pick. Is there any is there any world in which you dive into Primal, assuming that the, the, that the next two packs are going to be super open and Primal? Right. I mean, I would have trouble. No, looking at his cards and what he is, he's picked picking primal. I think I kind of actually, you know, thinking about it, I actually have only looked at this pick from my deck, which is really loving Temple Shahan. Yeah, um, but um, from his deck where he's mostly um, Argent Port. You know there is the temple Shah- there is the temple shahan which is by far the strongest cards but there are a lot of good time cards and that is a supported faction and so I think I would take that as a sign that these next two packs I'm going to get a lot of time cards and then hopefully in that final pack I'm going to get some more justice cards and I'm going to be okay so I I think I would have taken the amber amber ring nice. like you did yeah. You like you like Amber Ring more than Wormstone? 
<laughs> I, actually, I know some people just snag wormstones whenever they see them. I I do not. I am not a wormstone player. Wormstones okay. never trigger for me. I don't I don't know what, <laughs> what it is about them, but it, you didn't read the text. You got to play spells with them. That's that's maybe my problem. I <laughs> I actually would maybe potentially, depending on how tired I was, pick illumination wisp over amber ring, but yeah. That that I mean, Illumination Wisp is really incredible. It's a great card. Yeah, very, very, very powerful. This this feels to me like the beginnings of maybe a shift away from fire. Yes. So that's why this pick is kind of interesting to me. And there's another one later I think that also is really cements it. But so right now you have the Warhelm and the Forge Master mm-hmm. as your good fire cards. There's Stone Shell Walker, which I don't really think is probably making this mostly Argentport looking list right now. Right. Um so yeah, by by moving into time they're recognizing that that maybe Carindon is gonna be their best path to getting a really powerful and broken deck. And that, that that's that might be the crossroads of the the signals they're reading. So yeah, I think this is a really heads up maneuver into time, actually. Although I, I can't help but think that this early in Pack Two, just taking the sheet, the Temple Shihan, and uh, and just expecting a bunch of great primal cards to flow, because the, the, this is an obvious signal to me that primal is wide open. Like yes. if you're primal, you're taking that card. There's no way you're ever passing it. So yeah, that that's the only addition I'd say. Yeah, you know the I think the. The problem with that thinking a little bit, though, is you're going to get, say, just Primal flows these next two packs. This last pack, if if your first pack was any, any indication, is going to be Justice and Shadow still. So you're going to yeah. still be in this weird combination. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I think that's... You know, or even your other direction, you know, like, say, you end up being fire primal shadow or what you know i mean i guess you could end up being fire primal um justice like i am so yeah. I, I okay so maybe it does make sense no but, these are my favorite kind of drafts because i am currently loving my alternate reality draft right <laughs> yeah there there are a lot of good directions this one could have gone yeah um so the next pick uh, is another one i think is pretty interesting and there is a Coastal Battle Mage, a Trailmaker, a Changey Stick, the Loyal Watchwing, that's the 1-1 the one, one Warcry Flyer for three, and a Rebel Sharpshooter. Uh, and they ended up picking the Coastal Battle Mage. Um, and I, I this this one was interesting. I'm not as pumped with Battle Mage as maybe some people, but it's it still put, has a lot of potential, I guess, in this list we're looking at. At this point, what what are you thinking? What were your initial reactions here? Again, with his deck, I'm I'm with you on the battle mage. You know, being a a three cost justice justice card is a little scary. You know, you really need to know that justice is your primary color. I think for you to feel confident that you're getting that out on turn three, and trailmaker, I think is. I I would just I feel like Trailmaker would be like my safe pick and would be the pick. Yeah, that the, that I feel like that's what I would have done in this position is go with Trailmaker just because of the consistency mm-hmm. and the fact that 
he made the the call earlier of taking the amber ring and kind of seeing the time is open and i think that would have been a good move into time at this point mm-hmm. as well but uh bat- battle mage is still three three aegis for three at the yeah. end of the day it can it can do work it, so does. It, it wasn't a bad pick by any means no but i think there there is a tiny argument to be made for trailmaker yeah um, and a second changey stick for my deck yeah and so the the last pick we're gonna look at in this draft the next one is i i think an, a pretty interesting and interesting pick and is the actual turning point for this deck um so there are a load of good cards there's eight cards left in this pack and this is pack two and there's a mirror image a renegade valkyrie a minotaur ambassador an amarin archaeologist and a trail maker so just incredible like power level here mm-hmm. on this final pick but i think they end up picking the trail maker and this is the the renegade valkyrie actually is looking pretty sweet with uh warhelm oni forge master potentially like if he had decided to move into that direction but i think the correct call here was to dip into one of these powerful time cards the trail maker probably the minotaur ambassador and I really like taking the Trailmaker, and that that seemed to be when they cemented themselves into Carindon. Yes. Uh, from, from this point out, for the rest of the draft, it just became a really uh, straightforward, just all the best cards in those factions, and kind of found their stride. And I, I think they did a really good job with this draft all around. Yeah, I think they, yeah, like you said, in this pick, it seems like they committed to their colors, and we'll go through their final deck list uh a little bit but yeah they they stuck with it and they ended up getting you know quite a few good time cards to reward yeah. them for being in those colors final deck list we have here they just went stayed purely uh Carindon with the power base of six time sigils six justice sigils and six shadow sigils so yeah I... they, they didn't end up with any banners or tokens which is i think Maybe the only only weak point of this deck because they ended up with a great looking deck. With they picked up an Amarin Armadillo, a Karen and Steward. They got a second Trailmaker. They got a Howling Kurtar in the pack four. They got a Marison's Disciple in pack three, uh, an Infused Guardian, and a Power Breach Sentinel. So they they really an Avaris choice. So the the card power level here is crazy good. Um, but I can see a deck like this easily losing to just not drawing one of their six time sigils. Or two of their six justice sigils, because they have, you know, um, Coastal Battle Mage, Howling Kurtar, and New Order Watchwing are all double justice. Yeah, yeah. They have two lost scrolls to help, at least with the Arjunport um, yeah. power. So I, I probably would have tweaked this power list um, with the, having two Trailmakers to maybe... Finn in seven or yeah, probably an extra time sigil at least yeah. instead of it, it. There's something always elegant about a beautiful like six, six, six break <laughs> down yeah. the line for your power. Like it's like the symmetry of it is great. Um, but yeah, sometimes you got to look at like how he's wanting to curve and curve out into Amarin Armadillo's illumination with the two trail makers. Like the trail makers are pretty critical here for flowing into the the middle of the 
pack here with the, some of the really good four and five drops and stuff. So yeah, it, it maybe a tiny tweak to the power base, but yeah, this, this is interesting because we like we know the pick, like especially knowing after the fact that he didn't get any fixing besides the two lost scrolls he got in the first pack, like. I would feel a lot better about this deck if that Coastal Battle Mage was a third Trailmaker. Oh, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, that 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 would have definitely helped this deck out. Um, and, you know, and then you're even more obligated to play maybe an extra time sigil there. Yeah. You know, because it's interesting, because, you know, he, uh, he sent us an Eternal Warcry uh, link to this deck where he called it a pile of trash. And... That is not how I would describe this deck, like you were just saying. It, this is a very powerful deck, and the only problem is the power base, really. And I think f- I, we don't know what um, a lot of his um, pack three and pack four were, or what his late picks were, to see where he could have maybe picked up some fixing instead of picking um, you know, a less powerful later card or something to, re- to have helped his power base. Yeah, the only other thing I would change is if he has another low um, Xenon card, low-cost Xenon card, taking out the Dormant Sentinel to put something in that, because I think he has enough powerful cards as it is without that card in it. And, you know, I think maybe he needs to play the Lost Scrolls, but I would feel much better if I had the power base to allow me not to play the Lost Scrolls. Like, are you happy to play a Lost Scroll? I guess I I just think of that as a bad card, and maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. But it I think it's it can be it, sometimes a necessary evil. It's not it's not mm-hmm. great. It does, it's a horrible top deck of a card, <laughs> um, but it, it it can be essential if you're trying to skip you know your three drops and get to your four drops and stuff like that. It, and I think this deck is not really suffering too badly from that because the the quality on the two drops is actually quite good yeah like like the a steward a wisp an armadillo and two trail makers that's five top tier two drops and a few a flickerling a battle mage and a sand crawler at three which is not really impressive so yeah i think having the lost scrolls to get to that new order watch wing and the power breach sentinels and the infused guardian is is looking like a good a good plan here. So I, I think the lost scrolls were probably necessary for for playables. Yeah, I think this is this is a good deck suffering from just a lack of <laughs> probably some strangers and some banners because that that howling kurtar in this deck is just not looking as good as I would like a card like it just I'm having trouble imagining them playing that card on curve. It's, it seems very difficult with this power base. I agree. Though I, I mean, I, it's that the Howling Kurtar is such a strong card that you don't totally mind playing it later. I think. Um, yeah, and so it has like, a pledge, so it's yeah. not. Like you were saying, I would try to figure out how to, you know, I would put more time sigils in and drop the lost scrolls because I, I feel like I'd be less likely to pay, play the, you know, the more time sigils you play, the less likely you're going to be able to play the lost scroll because that's at, like, yeah. At what point do you just drop justice out of a deck like this? That's yeah. That's something also to. I mean, I'm not sure. I can't see their entire pool, but could is it possible that they could have completely dropped Justice, just gone Xenon? They would have lost the Battle Mage and the Kurtar, which are already kind of tough to play. An Emerald, an Emerald Ring, and a Watchwing. 
and a fall short. So you're not losing the cornerstone of your deck, which are these awesome Xenon 2 drops and Infuse Guardian and Power Breach Sentinel and stuff, you know, and Marison's yeah. Disciple and the Lethra Intimidator. I think Amber Ring, it, there's, this deck is really good with just Xenon. So if they did have enough um, playables, this might be one of those moments. And I've had to do this before, and it's helped me salvage drafts where sometimes I... I think I'm actually three factions, and then by the time I get to my deck building phase, I realize that it's just not going to work. Like, I just didn't have the fixing to quite make it uh, consistent enough for my liking, and sometimes just cutting that third faction, yeah. if you if you have the playables and the strength to pull it off. Yeah, Which I, I mean, think this, this deck might, honestly. I think th there's an argument to be made for, for just going straight Zen in here. Thank you for sending this in. This was a very actually fascinating draft to look at i thought that's our show uh once again a reminder to give us five star rating and review on itunes stitcher google play uh like prolific seven win contributor andy h22 who left a five star review on itunes that said definitely the best eternal podcast on my phone <laughs> in all honesty it's the only one i hope more pop up but nonetheless it's very well done Great discussion about cards, archetypes, and general strategy. Best part is when they go through the draft pick by pick and explain the notable cards and why they would pick X. Keep up the good work. So, thank, Andy. Yeah, thank you, Andy H. Uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, anyone else that would like to do something so nice, please, please do. Um, and then also... Uh, any of you Reddit users, uh, please thumbs up all Barefoot Farmer Reddit posts like <laughs> I do. That'd be much appreciated, and I think that would really help um, other people see the podcast. And then continue to send in all your seven-win deck lists, just like you guys did this week, to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember, keep on farming. All right, Ruben, so... We're now at um, Constructed Corner. This is the segment you've actually been waiting for all Super night. Super bonus content. So, do you want to talk about your ECQ experience again? <laughs> again. Yeah. No, it was it was fun. How, how did you like it? I know that you got to see it from an even different <laughs> point of view. I... Like, it, I, I hadn't had anybody spectate me through games like that before it was kind of fun yeah i was hoping i was like i felt a little bad because i was like i hope he's not like annoyed that i keep spectating all his games no this was a spectacular ecq experience for me because i have um two monitors so i had your games up that i was spectating in one monitor and then i had the commentary and the games up there and oh, nice i just thought all the games were were great. I think they, you know, there was great variety of decks this time, and so that was just it was just awesome. I thought. Yeah, it was really fun. I, I have been meaning to go and rewatch the beginning of it because I missed a lot of it, um, the actual casting of it. But when I when I jumped into it, it was fun. I really, uh, it was it was great. I've never could imagine that many viable decks being played in, in a tournament mm -hmm. like that. It's it was really kind of special. But yeah, I I ended up getting two pretty favorable matchups, I think, my my the first two rounds which helped me get to the the top 16. It was like a a Horu uh flying aggro deck and then another like 
uh, Paladin, Tavrod, mid-range deck. That Minotaur deck got a win off of me, though, off of kind of a play mistake I made. What was it? I, I went to go grab a, is it a Deep Forge plate instead of a Harsh Rule, and they ended up suiting up their Tavrod with a... Uh, the sword that gives flying and plus yeah. three plus one, <laughs> and just won the game right on the spot. So I felt pretty pretty bad. That was definitely on me. Um, but I still I still got him. I I had some pretty normal broken FJS hands the rest of the time. But yeah, it was funny. I remember just like looking over because I had been. You know, I was also um, watching the kids and stuff, and. Um, looking over and just seeing a giant flying ta- Tavrod in, uh, <laughs> in your first game. And I was like, oh boy, this is this that is not looking not, good. Yeah, that <laughs> one's not going well. I, yeah, I forget. That I think I lost, was it game one, and then won the next two maybe. Yeah. I, yeah, it was pretty close. They were they were great games. Um, and then I, I ran into Isomorphic, and that was just, it wasn't even close. I, I had been actually keeping an eye on his deck because he was in my, you know, in, in my bracket my end of the bracket and i i i saw him coming and i was like oh no please don't win just don't win i like i kept looking over and being like please don't win and he's such a good player and the deck was such a horrible matchup because i i especially for the fjs deck i picked up was a particularly weak one to that that reanimator style did you have any heat guards in your deck I did not. No, yeah. it was just yeah, like Vanquish, Regent's Tomb, Deep Forge Plate, Harsh Rule. Um, it was just really straightforward. I didn't. I should have had a gavel probably, but I I didn't anticipate Reanimator mm-hmm. <laughs> of being a, an issue. So it, it was totally a great call on Isomorphic. He's a winner in my eyes. <laughs> of yeah. the PCQ in general. He just he played phenomenally and really kind of broke the format all around, I thought. Yeah, so, I mean in your defense, he had a lot of turn five grasping shots. He <laughs> grasping did shots. he did do that on both games. It was not even close. Yeah. It it feels it feels unwinnable when he plays a turn five grasping. Because you even if you get to your harsh rule, which I did, then it's like Oh god, can I win the game before he finds his second one? Because any merchant he draws is grasping, you know, it's it's just so hard to fight through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it felt like I was I was not really close. So yeah. that that's all right. I was I was pretty happy with the the result. It's yeah. um I I did put a lot of work into the format leading up to it though. Mm-hmm. And and kind of moving back into a deck that I was very comfortable with was felt really good. I I I had tested plenty of other things, and then a couple of days before I was, you know, hearing people talking about their great results with FJS again, and and I I like having a deck that is flexible and doesn't have any horrible matchups. Yeah, which it didn't <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Thanks, Isomorphic. Yeah. I've been playing with so many of those decks recently in the latter. It's definitely picking up steam. Yeah. I, I hate... I, I guess it's not fair for me to, like, hate when decks like that get popular, because I really love those decks, and I just, like, I want to be playing them, but I don't want everyone else to be playing them. So, 
But yeah. yeah. Cause it is kind of frustrating to play against, but those are kind of, those are my favorite kind of decks. Cause like b- before, um, uh, defiance came out, I was, I was playing like a scourge decks. So a lot of reanimator decks where you'd reanimate your scourge and, Oh man. So, lock, so now, so now it's moved mainstream lock people out. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not cool if everybody's doing it, right? Exactly. I know. <laughs> also, Scourge kind of became unplayable when Avagraph came out. Oh, right. Yeah. I forget. Avagraph is a pain. Yeah. So I had to stop playing that deck, which is kind of sad. So then I, when this deck started, started coming on the scene, I was like, oh, sweet. Maybe this is what I'll start playing to replace, you know, to scratch that itch again. But now that everyone on Reddit and Discord is complaining about playing this deck, now I feel like I can't play it. It's quite the polarizing deck. I've, I'm finding. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't necessarily understand. Some of it seems like a little bit of posturing and stuff back and forth between <laughs> some <laughs> some deck builders and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I think. I, it's it it is pilot dependent. A lot of these types of decks require yeah. like close close attention to sequencing of plays. Yeah. Like even if you look at, at Isomorphic's write up he did on his Warcry um, mm-hmm. deck list that he just posted a while, a few days ago or whatever, it was it's so <laughs> there's so much to it. Like he's just talking through all of these different decision points and everything, and I, I yeah. I can see how maybe in the hands of certain pilots, the deck can actually be even more powerful. If you know exactly what your the calls are on certain draw redraws decisions and scouting decisions and all of that stuff, once you have all of that knowledge, I think it's it's very good. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a bad deck. <laughs> I don't I don't know why anybody would, but yeah, no, I don't think it's a bad deck. I think. People are just probably sick of playing against it now because it's it's kind of like clear combo where it, it's I feel like it's a feel bad deck because your opponent spends like the first six to ten turns of the game feeling like they're really into it. And then you play a single card and you're like, oh, actually, I wasn't in this game at all. I just didn't realize. <laughs> well, so- anyway, I I've, I'm I, I sealed up. I managed to get top hundred in draft and ranked last month so mm-hmm. i don't have to worry about that finally it's kind of a big it's been it was a goal of mine for quite a while once i heard about the the qualifier i don't i don't know they have never announced what those qualifiers are but i, I definitely wanted to be a part of it so I, i'm kind of happy to be back to experimenting and feeling a little more freedom to <laughs> to enjoy just playing ranked um without some of the stress and drafting too i'm gonna be just drafting nonsense it's like spitfire Woo. yeah i'm doing that i'm triple spitfire deck <laughs> good luck with that i'm a little worried that you're you might be a week late on that decision but we'll see we'll see yeah. where we'll see where the format goes but it'd be really sweet when they come out with 5.5 if they switch up the draft packs that's my dream yeah, maybe they will. Yeah. They've they've got it at, at such a good state right now that it's I'm not opposed to doing this this format for a little while longer. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's, I, I, it'll, it'll be fun to mix things up. It'll it'll give us a lot more talking points. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I do worry about you know month five how much we're going to have to say, but we'll see. All right, cool. Anything else you want to talk about? No, that's that's all I've got. Oh my gosh, this is it's not it's not even ten thirty. I don't I don't know what we're oh. doing. 